This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. Miss E is uh, not with us this week. Uh, She's here. She's just uh, feeling a little under the weather still and sounding a little snotty and... uh, She'll be back next week. So uh, we do have a lot of emails uh, to get to. Thank you so much for writing in. It's fantastic to hear from uh, friends old and new, and we'll get to that later on in the program as well. I also want to talk this week a little bit about uh, Kevin Williamson at National Review, a writer I like very much, writing something I did not like at all, and we'll uh, talk about that. Uh, But let's get you caught up with what's going on here on the farm, and I want to hear what's going on with you because – I don't know where you are. I know that uh, some of my friends in Colorado and Wisconsin are dealing with blizzards this week, but spring has sprung in central Virginia, and the uh, buds on the dogwoods are blooming, and the grass is in desperate need of mowing, at least in patches. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, it's time, it's go time for the garden, right? So I've been feeling like we've been. Uh, way behind because I was sick. We I went to CPAC. I'd managed to go to SHOT Show and uh, spent almost uh, nine days in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the Great American Outdoor Show. I didn't get sick. Two days at CPAC, two days at the Conservative Political Action Conference, and I get sick, and I think I passed it on to Miss E, and I think now the kids have it, and everybody's been sort of miserable. Uh, nobody's felt like uh, really working as hard as we need to be working in order to prepare for the spring. So this was the week that all of a sudden was like, okay, it's we've got to get it done. So our seeds are planted, uh, at least most of them. The, the ones that we have to uh, sow in place are not down yet. But the tomatoes have all been started. The peppers have all been started. Uh, cucumbers have all been started. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, the space where all of that is going to go is currently occupied by our hogs. Um, this weekend, we'll be talking about it uh, next week on 40 Acres and a Fool. Uh, this weekend, we are butchering two of our hogs. Our friends, Valerie and Greg, are going to come down and help us out on uh, Saturday morning. We're going to get that done. I don't sound all that excited about it because that's the, honestly, that's the crummy part about uh, eating your own meat. I, 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 Definitely appreciate where my food comes from, but, uh, you know, it is a little bittersweet to uh, say goodbye to a couple of the bacon seeds have been around for a year. They will be tasty and delicious. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but we'll talk more about that uh, next week. Uh, meanwhile, the, uh, garden where we had grown all of our stuff last year and now can't use it to grow tomatoes because we had tomato blight, so we have to let it uh, be tomato-free for a couple of years and potato-free as well. Uh, we still have plans to use a portion of that garden for beans and peas, and I think I talked to Missy out of growing corn. I, I, I'd, I'd love to, but it just seems so impractical. You can find it 
pretty cheap uh, at the grocery store and uh, pretty cheap at the farmer's market. And it takes up a lot of space. And I'm just not sure that it's really practical for us. So I, I'd like to forego uh, corn. We had such big plans, too. I remember our first year, three years ago, we were going to grow corn. We were going to grow tobacco, neither of which happened. Uh, but we did miss beans and peas. We were thinking about trying to start Brussels sprouts, even though it's more of a fall crop, but I think we've decided against that. Uh, carrots have to go down. Uh, we're going to try to plant broccoli again. The rabbits have loved broccoli in the past and cauliflower, and we've never been able to actually get it uh, any to harvest. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Our, our plan this year as well for the tomato, uh, pepper, and cucumber garden, uh, because it's going to be now on the other side of our house, uh, much closer to the woods where we have deer and a lot of wild turkey right now, uh, and a I have no idea how many rabbits uh, are over in that section uh, of the property. So we're going to fence that garden uh, as well. Hopefully a six-foot chicken wire uh, will be enough or or a panel fencing from our uh, dog kennel that we had used the first year that we had pigs and we were moved that around the yard. So uh, we, we've got a couple of fencing options, but that garden is definitely going to be fenced because otherwise we're not going to be able to get anything so this weekend coming up uh oh that's the other thing the weather's been crummy around here on the weekend it's been beautiful during the week and then it's been absolutely wretched uh, during the weekend so this weekend we've got a dry weekend we've got a warm weekend uh the kids will be outside helping i've already uh, told my 15 year old son that we're going to be taking turns yeah sure you could have a couple of hours on the riding lawnmower because the lawn has to get mowed but uh, you could also have a couple of hours on the rototiller because the back garden needs to be rototilled, but uh, it's good. I told him it's endurance training. He's uh, he's playing soccer now. He's on the varsity team. They are undefeated. I said you need that uh, extra endurance training. So it'll be uh, it'll be hopefully a very busy and good uh, working Easter weekend. And I hope that uh, you have a wonderful Easter weekend as well. You know, we also just finished uh, St. Patrick's Day, and Missy e was sick. Uh, for St. Patrick's Day. We were supposed to have our St. Patrick's Day feast uh, last Saturday. She was still too under the weather. But last Sunday, uh, our friends came down, uh, Jennifer and Chris and uh, Jen Jakes of Bearing Arms, uh, was in town as well. And so we had our St. Patrick's Day feast. Miss E made a fantastic corned beef, uh, Kolkanen, which is one of the, I believe, uh, three billion Irish dishes involving potatoes. This is uh, potatoes with fried leeks and steamed cabbage uh, with within the mashed potatoes. So you mash the potatoes first, then you're supposed to fry the leeks, uh, put the leeks in uh, so that they don't get soggy with the uh, mashed potatoes, and then put the cabbage in and mush it all together. And uh, I got to say, I mean, like, for three ingredients that are kind of meh, ingredients of the culinary world potatoes cabbage and leeks uh, it tasted really good she also made irish soda bread i know i'm making your mouth water and a little jealous right now i apologize we need to have this like open to the public one year we can just have a big saint patrick's day party uh anyway she made irish soda bread uh she also made uh these little irish potato candy cakes which everybody except me loves because they have coconut in them and i don't like coconut, but they're basically coconut and potato uh, rolled in a 
uh, cinnamon uh, mix to make them look like a little potato. I'm trying to think if we had any other side dishes. It seems like we we did, but uh, all I remember is how awesome the corned beef was and uh, and how good the Irish whiskey was, too. That might be why I can't remember the side dishes. But a good time was had by all, uh, and it's fantastic to see our friends, uh, Chris and Jen, um, live not too far away from us. They also have a passel of kids, and so our house, when they come over, is just this cacophony of escalating loudness uh, <laughs> between all of the children. And, you know, I suppose the weather was nice enough. I don't know why they weren't outside uh, Sunday night, but uh, they were, oh, they were, all of our children were in the house. It was very loud, but it was a uh, it was a joyous occasion, joyous shrieks and, uh, and, and shouts. Uh, so it was, a, it was a good time. We um, we like hanging out with our friends, uh, Chris and Jen. They're, they're good people. And it was awesome getting a chance to uh, spend some time with Jennifer Jakes as well from Bearing Arms. She's good people as well. So hopefully you enjoyed your St. Patrick's Day. And uh, hopefully the weather's going to be cooperating and you can get out in the garden as well this weekend. Now, we're going to take a quick time out when we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. We're going to talk about this piece by Kevin Williamson at National Review. Again, a, a writer I admire very much, a guy I like. Uh, we've had him on the program before. Uh, this piece, though, that he wrote for National Review, I got to say, I've got some uh, got some issues with it. But we'll talk about it after a quick timeout here on this edition of Forty Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Forty Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Cam Edwards with you once again. And um, all right, so let's talk about Kevin Williamson's uh, piece at National Review. I I just want to quote um, a little bit from this piece, in which he basically laid out the case uh, that, uh, you know what, these small towns, these dying towns, Appalachia, working class uh, communities that uh, are on hard times and have seen these manufacturing jobs dry up. And now we've got, you know, the obesity epidemic, the heroin epidemic. Uh, Life's pretty crummy for uh, people there. Kevin says, you know, look, they brought it on themselves. He says, quote, the truth about these dysfunctional downscale communities is that they deserve to die. Economically, they are negative assets. Morally, they are indefensible. Forget all your cheap theatrical Bruce Springsteen crap. Forget your sanctimony about struggling Rust Belt factory towns and your conspiracy theories about the wily Oriental stealing our jobs. Forget your goddamn gypsum, and if he has a problem with that, forget Ed Burke, too. The white American underclass is enthralled to a vicious, selfish culture whose main products are misery and used heroin needles. Donald Trump's speeches make them feel good. So does OxyContin. What they need isn't analgesics, literal or political. They need real opportunity, which means that they need real change, which means that they need U-Haul. 
Now, I realize that Kevin's not necessarily talking about rural America, uh, but he's talking about those small towns. Um, and Virginia has some of those small towns. You know, I saw a story. Um, Roanoke isn't too far away from us here in Farmville. It's about two hours or so. Roanoke used to be a huge factory town. Huge manufacturing town. I was watching Salvage Dogs the other night on the DIY network, and they were in a old nylon factory that they were getting ready to, I think, maybe turn into loft apartments. The uh, And they just kind of mentioned casually that at one point, this nylon factory had employed 5,000 people in Roanoke, Virginia. And the day after I watched that episode... I saw a news story about uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe heading to Roanoke uh, to announce a major new economic uh, boost to the community. Uh, An Oregon brewery is setting up their uh, East Coast factory uh, and distribution plant. And it was between, I think, Roanoke and Asheville, North Carolina. It looks like Roanoke got it. So it's going to be about 100 jobs uh, for Roanoke, which which is good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. I'm glad that the jobs are coming there. But you think about what what one factory used to employ there in Roanoke, 5,000 people. Uh, and now you've got a major new operation coming in. It's going to employ 100. And oh yeah, at the same time, the uh, railroad in town, I think it's the Norfolk and Southern, uh, announced 500 more job cuts. So congratulations, Roanoke. But... Uh, you see the uh, the crunch that these small towns are in, and, and small cities even. I, I wouldn't even say that Roanoke is a small town. Roanoke is a small city. Should they dry up, die up? Should everybody hop in a U-Haul? Where should they go? I, I guess that's my question is where should they go? Because they don't want to go to San Francisco. They don't want to go up to northern Virginia. Where they might get a, a job, uh, maybe in a service industry. And not be able to afford to pay rent uh, anywhere close to inside the Beltway. So what, you drive an hour, an hour and a half? I mean, there are folks, when, when I lived in Northern Virginia, I heard about uh, folks who lived in West Virginia uh, who would drive in every day, two-hour commute to go to work at the uh, college, not as professors uh, or things of that nature, but they were, you know, they were the groundskeepers. They were the uh, folks who were serving in the cafeterias, driving two hours each way. And it's not because, you you know, Kevin's right. There are jobs there. There's not an affordable place to live. Uh, Now, we could talk again about this being the result of uh, blue uh, policies. You can look at what's going on in San Francisco where uh, and the whole Bay Area where you've got a huge uh, problem with homelessness. And a lack of affordable housing, people are living in U-Hauls. They're not just packing up their uh, U-Hauls to move to better places. They're living in the back of trucks because they can't afford an apartment somewhere. Uh, And the uh, deep blue policies refuse to allow uh, new building. So the uh, real estate market is incredibly skewed. We can talk about that. But I think we should also talk about why it's important to save these small towns and why it's important to save uh, these struggling communities. Because not everybody wants to live in New York City. Not everybody wants to live inside the Beltway. Not everybody wants to move to Austin, Texas, although it's a great place. And by the way, the more people move to these places, the less great these places become to a lot of people. 
And instead, they dream of being able to move to a town like Farmville. They want to be able to move to a town like Roanoke because they want those communities to be viable. And so it seems to me that rather than complain about the people who live in these communities, maybe the answer, maybe the challenge for conservatism right now is to describe how these places, which have been so important to conservatism, the small community where family, where institutions are manageable, where we can have a direct uh, impact and influence on those uh, local institutions, as opposed to the uh, big nameless cities. Yeah, these places and these spaces are supposed to be important to conservatism. And so maybe the challenge is to, instead of complaining about the people who live there, try to figure out a way to make them viable again. And I guess I, that, that's what disappointed me about Kevin's piece, because he is a smart guy. Um, and I don't like to see conservatism throw any group of Americans away. I think that, uh, uh, you know, your guiding political philosophy, generally speaking, uh, should work no matter the population density or your zip code. But that's just me. At the same time, I, I do understand that, you know, time marches on, uh, that uh, things change, that uh, it doesn't take 5,000 people to manufacture nylon anymore. I, I understand this. And as a matter of fact, um, another National Review writer, uh, one of my favorite writers of all time, wrote about this, uh, Whitaker Chambers. And, you know, Whitaker Chambers, if you've not read his book, Witness, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. Go read Witness. It is truly one of the best works of American literature uh, written in the 20th century regardless of, you know, the the ideology behind it. But if you are a conservative, if you are a conservatarian, if you are a man of the right or a woman of the right, as, uh, well, Whitaker Chambers described himself as a man of the right, not a woman of the right. But uh, if, if, that's how he described himself, not as a conservative, but a man of the right. If you are of that leaning, uh, Witness is one of those indispensable books. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, top five books that uh, uh, you, you want to read and could have a I, to me again it just had a, a huge impact on me anyway uh, after witness came out he uh, started writing for national review had a series of heart attacks uh that uh, limited his mobility but he also lived on a farm in maryland he had moved there in the 30s after he broke with communism and after he died uh, his wife collected uh, some of his uh, letters and uh, some of his writings and, and published it uh, in a book called cold friday and there are a couple of parts in the book that um, really, I think, kind of speak to what Kevin Williamson was writing about. And I want to quote, if I can. Uh, he's writing about being a farmer in Maryland again in the late 1950s and watching how the growth of government uh, has changed agriculture and the growth of technology as well. The advances in technology he says, uh, I loathe rural socialism. And that's why I stopped growing wheat several years ago and corn last year. I'm trying to shape a workable farm economy that will slip around these socialist shackles, coexist within, as John Chamberlain once said, the interstices. But I'm not a farmer in the general sense, he says. I'm the exception, not the rule. I prove nothing unless the possibility that a few men can live amiably still by bypassing, not by kicking against the pricks, 
I have by no means proved it as yet. Meanwhile, let the government men measure my fields and yield to their heart's content. The very sight of them enrages me. I usually begin by treating them with formal courtesy and end by telling them to their faces that they are useless parasites. But at worst, when they stay only for a few hours like a flock of crows, and as I do not hunt crows when I am too busy with other things, through their, though their chatter and marauding exasperates me, so I do not run the agriculture inspectors away, as some of my neighbors have done. For I know that the crows will be there so long as the corn attracts and feeds them. And unlike the crows, the inspectors are better armed than I am. I will simply not plant corn, though I have no illusion that this is more than a postponement. If it isn't corn, it will be some other crop. He says, as you know, most factory workers are farmers' monkeys. Moreover, they flock to the factories in the first place because even the industrial horrors of the 19th century seemed preferable to more than 10 hours of haying in a shriveling sun or cows going bad with garget. I worked the hayload last night against the coming rain by headlights long after dark. I know the farmer's case for the machine and for the factory. And I know, like the cut of hay bale cords in my hands, that a conservatism that cannot find room in its folds for these actualities is a conservatism doomed to petulance and dwindling. First unreality and then defeat. Let the conservative fill barley sacks behind the moving combine for even eight hours in a really good sun, and then load them, 100, 150-pound bags, until midnight, and he will learn more about the realities of rural socialism and about the realities of conservatism than he could ever glean from the late, ever-to-be-honored Robert Taft. I know this is a long section, but bear with me for just one more paragraph. He said, Naturally, it's not so simple as I've sketched it above. I know, too, that the 40-horsepower tractor is only one turn on the road that leads to the H-bomb and beyond. If I were a younger man, if there were any frontiers left, I should flee to some frontier, because when the house is afire, you leave by whatever hole is open for whatever area is freest to fire. Since there are no regional frontiers, I've been seeking the next best thing. The frontiers within. But I have no notion that my antics have a validity for anybody else except a handful of similar escapists. Escapism is laudable. Perhaps the only truly honorable course for humane men. But only for them. Those who remain in the world, if they will not surrender on its terms, must maneuver within its terms. That is what conservatives must decide. How much to give in order to survive at all. How much to give in order not to give up the basic principles. And of course, that results in a dance along a precipice. Many will drop over, and always the cliff dancers will hear the screaming curses of those who fall, or be dumbed by the sullen silence of those nobler souls, perhaps, who will not join the dance. So, Whitaker Chambers, a guy who, you know, again, had moved to a farm, uh, had uh, lived there for decades, knew that what he was doing wasn't necessarily uh, something that the masses of people could do. Uh, he was aware that, you know, with changing technology, that made uh, agriculture become a, a more expensive proposition, not a more affordable proposition for Americans. Uh, you had to invest, you know, now it's hundreds of thousands of dollars in combines and uh, material if you want to do a large scale farming. And, and Kevin Williamson is right. Uh, small scale farming is uh, it's very difficult to make a, a living um, for every Joel Salatin out there at Bollyface Farms who's getting it done and doing an amazing job at it. Uh, there are several dozen small farmers who are not able to get it done. But still, 
Whitaker Chambers thought that these spaces were important. Um, whether you call it escapism or not, uh, he, he thought that it was valuable. And he wrote about this elsewhere in Cold Friday, about why this is valuable, about why you just don't throw these places away and these communities away, and you don't just give up uh, on the small towns and these small spaces and, and everybody move to a megalopolis out there. Why you fight to keep these spaces. And it was about his kids. I want to read another passage if I can hold your attention here for just a couple more minutes. He said, I had with many misgivings, I shall come back to that later on, given life to two children. I meant in the simplest terms to take those children to the soil as one of the few sound realities left in life that they might grow into and grow out of in which whatever forays into the world they might later make, they would never finally leave. I meant to found a line rooted in a particular spot of the earth, which they would make their own by that effort of their lives that they put into it by working it, and which their children's children would inherit by right of that energy of their lives which they had sown like seed in it. In the 20th century, no purpose could well have been more deliberately unrealistic Every energy which my intelligence told me was shaping the future was against it. No man could have been more conscious of that reality. This was all that there was to give, the ground beneath their feet. I meant to give it to them not only against the forces of open revolution, but also against that suffocating materialism which more than want or hunger recruits the forces of revolution in the West. For some, must at last have eyes to see the plain fact that the revolutionary proletariat in the West, including Russia, is not and never has been a factory proletariat. The forces of revolution in the West are an intellectual proletariat, disinherited, not in this world's goods, with which they are often incongruously replete, but disinherited in the spirit. The revolt of the intellectuals of the West, almost without exception, begins, no matter how it ends, as the frantic threshing of those drowning in the materialism of the West a convulsive struggle against the death of the spirit. This is the answer to the fatuous, reiterated question of why men like Arthur Kessler or Whitaker Chambers became communists. For the differences in background which the shallow world magnifies are trifling compared to that convulsion of the drowning spirit which carried us, and men like us, each in his own individual way, with his own individual rationalization, into communism, and which makes a second death for those who, recognizing at last that communism is itself evil, must burst from that second drowning back into a West which has learned nothing and forgotten nothing. Hateful home truths, he says. For they invite the West to stop looking at communism and look into itself. Communism is never stronger than the failure of all other faiths. Men are by nature conservative. They become revolutionists only by despair. Communism did not attract. It repelled me. I became a communist to escape the dying West. All of this I wrote, he said in witness. The inner meaning was lost in the coding of words. I am a man old now in experience and getting ready to die. I have no time left to coat the harsh truth. I have no other business on earth than to speak the truth as plainly as it seems to me. In the end, God commands nothing less for any man, as we know and seldom know anything more surely, for we seldom feel closer to God than when we speak truth at whatever cost. He said, so I meant this farm to be a base for my children. 
not only against the forces of revolution in the world, but also against the climate of materialism which breeds revolutionists. Nothing could have been more clearly foredoomed. Intelligence and experience alike told me this beyond question, and if I had acted only on their sense, I should not have acted at all. But it is my conviction, based on a reading of man's upward climb from shambling apehood, that man's progress is always a progress of the spirit, and that spirit makes its irrational forward lurch precisely at the moment it acts in defiance of a prevailing reality. The mind may not reject the knowledge of reality. The more coldly it weighs it, the better. But the spirit may defy reality in the name of something higher. Cold Friday was therefore for me. Cold Friday was the name of a uh, pasture on his farm. Cold Friday, he said, was therefore for me an act of hope and faith. The point of importance was not the failure. The important point was to act. The clinching of the will set in defiance of failure, because what is good and right remains good and right, though buried in disaster and by centuries. And that's why these spaces matter. Because they have always mattered. And frankly, you know, we live in a time in which technology has made it easier than ever for us to communicate with uh, one another, no matter where we live, no matter where we are on the globe. Uh, it, it seems to me that these, you know, small towns um, have more promise and potential n- now than they did uh, perhaps at any point in the last 50 years when these manufacturing jobs started going away. I just think that these, again, these small towns, these uh, communities, these manufacturing cities and the rural spaces, they do still hold value, not just for conservatives, but uh, for the country. And I, 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 I don't like to see um, voices, educated, smart, intelligent uh, and, and very you know, capable uh, voices uh, in the conservative movement uh, disregard the uh, people who live there and the places themselves. All right, we're going to take a a quick time out. When we come back, we've got your thoughts here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. So stick around. We'll be back with more right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Your family in a political race is off limits if you make them off limits. But the second they appear with you as part of the ideal American family, that's the reason they ought to elect you, and you use them as a prop, I don't care if it's your six-month-old child or your 800-year-old grandmother, then they are fair game. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So as I said, we have a, a lot of emails to get to this week, probably a couple of segments worth. So uh, let's start with an email from Greg. He says, Cam, I'm catching up on old podcasts. If you or Miss E ever need uh, ever end up with a story about llamas that need a new home, Mushu and I would be happy to meet up and give them a new place to live. It's the least that a presidential candidate can do for his constituents. Greg says, I'm only on the Goats with Diapers at Home Dancing Wildly podcast. Keep up all the great work. And uh, thank you, Greg. It is fantastic to hear from you again. I hope that Mushu is doing well. And uh, those goats are gone. We have new 
uh, baby goats, Julius and Brutus, born on the Ides of March that are uh, in our house right now. But uh, they're going to go away, actually, uh, in a couple of days to a, a new home where there will be pets. Uh, and then I think, uh, Robin, we this has just been the, the year of the buck. I know that uh, Robin had written in. Actually, we're going to get to another email from uh, Robin uh, here in just a minute or two. But uh, Robin had written in and had asked about uh, any does. Robin, we just haven't had any, uh, unfortunately. Um, Julius and Brutus, both bucks. We've got uh, one more pregnant goat. Uh, my youngest daughter has already been promised uh, one doe if we get a doe. <laughs> so we may not have any does to uh, to sell this year, unfortunately. I'm I'm actually kind of shocked that we've been able to uh, to sell the uh, little bucklings, but uh, we've got a petting zoo that is interested in uh, in one of the goats. So we'll be uh, Exploring that option here once the last goat gives birth. Now, Joe also wrote in. He said, Cam, I love the show. I listen each week. It's a great escape. Great suggestions on books and on whiskey. Oh, thank you for that, Joe. Uh, Check out the videos at honeyflow.com. Joe says, if I was starting as an apiarist, I would go this route. The concept is so simple, it's elegant. And Joe says, thanks again for the show. Well, Joe, thank you, sir, for writing in. Uh, Yeah, the honey flow is that, uh, that, that honey on tap. Um, we've talked about this. It, it seems really interesting. I know that a lot of the uh, apiarists that uh, are here in our local area are, are not real uh, keen on the idea. Um, but it may just be that, uh, you know, they want to, they, they, they know what they know, right? Um, but I appreciate the, uh, the email and the, uh, and the fact that you like the book and Whiskey recommendations. I don't have a whiskey recommendation for you this week, but I will tell you, Deep Eddie Vodka out of Texas. It's my new favorite vodka out of Texas. I think it's even surpassed Tito's. Uh, and, and I'm not a big fruity flavor guy, but uh, the Deep Eddie lemon flavored vodka, first of all, it tastes like real lemons. It tastes like lemonade, actually. It's kind of uh, kind of dangerous. Uh, but that's my, my recommendation of the week there. Now, Robin also wrote in and says, uh, first, uh, have you ever received a census of agriculture? I have not, Robin. Robin says, I've been getting them every so often, and I made a big mistake. I filled it out back when I was being a sheep, not thinking that it was none of the USDA's business, what I did on my tiny hobby farm. It is huge and intrusive, like a cross between taxes and the census. It's designed for professional farmers. Of course, it's the government, and it arrives very close to the day that it's due. Robin says, I wrote on it that I'm a hobby farmer, and I don't produce anything or sell anything, and I send it back. I even give away the only product that I have, and that's manure. (sighs) They sent me another saying, this is late. Why do I have to fill this out, and what are they going to do to me if I don't, asks Robin. Uh, good questions, Robin, and let me do some digging and see what I can find out for you. Robin also says, uh, what size fence did you buy for your goats? So what we use is the uh, Premier One fencing, Robin, uh, and it's just the goat fence, the electric goat fence. So it's higher than the hog fencing. It's not, you know, six feet tall or anything. It's, I think it's probably 36 inches or so. No, it's higher than that. Uh, maybe four feet tall. Uh, inside the house with the baby goats right now, we have a standard baby gate system, you know, like the little playpen that, not the playpen, but a a, uh, a baby gate system, maybe a little kitty corral that uh, we've set up in our family room and we've laid pee pads down on the floor so that we can save the floor as much as possible. And that's what we're using with the goats inside the house right now. But uh I will I will uh, uh, dig into that census, Robin, and see if I can get any more information for you. Also, uh, Melvin wrote in. He said, uh, 
I've enjoyed your 40 Acres podcast from the beginning. I don't think that I have missed a single episode. And he said this week that you had an email about woodland farming. He says, I just got a book, The Woodland Homestead by Brett McLeod. I'm not finished with it yet, but it has acres and acres of great information on farming woodlands, from raising animals to building living fences. It's a great book, he says. It was published in 2015, so the information is current. Uh, now, Mel says that uh, he has, along with his wife, uh, Sandy, 10 acres. Seven acres is in woods and a stream that floods. So he says, we have some unique farming issues. We now have chickens and rabbits. We had bees one year, but they didn't work out. We are uh, not at the point of adding goats or pigs. He says, you have both, and we'll probably end up with both. What would you suggest that we start with? Uh, and Mel and Sandy say, thanks for sharing your farm with all of us. Well, Mel and Sandy, thank you for sharing your farm with all of us, too. Uh, as for, uh, you know, goats or, or pigs, uh, you know, for pigs, certainly, we started out with American guinea hogs, and they're great. They're very personable. Um, they, as far as hogs go, as far as meat, though, they're really fat. I mean, these are lard hogs. So you're not going to get as much meat uh, as you would get if you had a Berkshire or a Tamworth. Um, we also had a, a, a great success with Berkshire Tamworth mixes. Uh, that was ham bone and uh, pork chop. Was it pork chop? I think it was pork chop. Uh, anyway, they're delicious. And uh, and those are much bigger hogs. So they can get, you know, I think we ended up processing ham bone at 350 pounds or so. Uh, but he could have gotten bigger. So I, I'd recommend a, a, a Berkshire Tamworth uh, or a Berkshire Tamworth mix if you can. Durex are also uh, really good hogs. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have to say, I mean, as, as – much fun as the American guinea hogs are, I, I can understand why uh, they are not used commercially anymore because they are just so much fattier than some of the other breeds out there. Uh, as far as goats go, you know, I think it really depends on what it is you're looking to get out of them. Uh, we have primarily dwarf Nigerian goats, and those are dairy goats. Uh, they're, you know, pretty good for their size. You get uh, quite a bit of milk out of a, a little tiny goat. Um, then our, our larger dairy goat is a, uh, half Sanin. Uh, so she's a little bit bigger than a, a dwarf Nigerian. Um, they've all been, you know, really mellow, really even tempered. We haven't had the, uh, annoying goat, but if you are looking for a meat goat, you're probably going to want to get, in fact, you're going to want to get something bigger than a, a dwarf Nigerian. Uh, Sanins, you know, I think would be a, uh, another good option for you. Uh, boars are also uh, good, and uh, you know I, I keep hearing about a uh, a cross called a, a money maker that are a cross of Sane and Nubian uh, that are then bred with uh, boar goats. So uh, medium size, supposedly uh, heat and drought resistant, uh, and a a good meat goat. So uh, there's really no shortage of breeds out there. Uh, Mel, it's just what you want to try to do with the animals, but I wish you the best of luck. And I'm curious what kind of rabbits actually that, uh, you're raising there on your farm. So uh, right back in and, uh, don't be a stranger. Now we do have more of your thoughts and emails. We're going to take a quick time out. So stick around. There's more 40 acres and a fool from the blaze radio network coming up right after this 40 acres and a fool with cam Edwards on the blaze radio network.
Buck Sexton. There will always be another reason, another rationale for terrorist mass murder. Because they have bought into a cult. They believe that they are part of a religious tradition that has an absolute obligation to wipe out all other belief systems and force people to submit. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks again for spending some time with us here this week on 40 Acres and a Fool. We've got a few more emails to get to. Stephen writing in with a question for Miss E. So, Stephen, I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to save this question about uh, Miss E's hot sauce uh, until Miss E joins us on the program again next week. But I wanted to let you know that uh, we did get your email, I, and I will not forget. Uh, also, our friends out in Tahlequah from the Pecan Grove Farm and Gardens, or maybe uh, Pecan Grove Farm and Gardens, says, hello from Tahlequah. I just wanted to let you know that today we have added a new member to our farm, a 300-pound Durek boar to our pre-freezer. <laughs> Purchased it from a friend and neighbor uh, who shows them. This one too big to show anymore, but he placed third in his last show in Oklahoma City earlier this month. So we're pretty proud of that. Wow, it's a good-looking hog. i got to say, they uh, sent along a picture. Uh, Sean there at uh, Pecan Grove Farm and Gardens. That is a good-looking pig. I'm, I'm looking at those back legs, Sean, and I'm thinking, man... It's going to be some uh, pretty big hams there. Also, Sean wonders, uh, Miss E, could you please send me your bacon recipe that you gave in your very first episode? I would truly appreciate it. We will be needing it very soon. Uh, Sean, we'll uh, get that in the email to you. Sean also says, as we say here at the Grove, have a better day. Well, Sean, thank you, sir. It is always a pleasure hearing from you, and uh, enjoy the tasty bacon. And uh, Jeff has written in as well. He says, uh, Cam, I found your podcast on the Blaze Radio site. I am hooked. I downloaded all of the podcasts. Some are not available for download on uh, SoundCloud. Jeff says, oh, that's good to know. Jeff says, I find your podcast refreshing for one. Not a lot of politics involved. Not usually this week, maybe a little bit. But uh, look, Jeff, I you know, look, there, there's no shortage of places where you can go to hear uh, talk about politics, right? I kind of think that there is a shortage of places where you can go to, to hear about stuff that's not that's beyond politics, or maybe the, the stuff that is uh, basic and foundational before you get to politics. Uh, but I appreciate uh, you writing in, Jeff. He also says, my wife and I are 54 years young. We don't have a farm, but we have stumbled around for the past six years trying to plant our garden crops. Not a huge area. It's about 25 feet by 25 feet. You know, it, it's funny, Jeff, you say that's not a huge area, but when all of a sudden it's a garden that you're responsible for as opposed to just grass that you can mow— yeah, all of a sudden, that's a pretty big space. He says, we uh, have laid out the black mesh to keep the weeds to a minimum. Every year, though, we rotate where we plant tomatoes in the cages from where we plant squash. Can you suggest what to do with the soil to help our future plants grow? Do we need to add anything to the soil? Uh, they get plenty of sun. With the black fabric down, it does help keep the weeds to a minimum. I even put up chicken wire, and uh, I've kept the rabbits and the deer out. So, first of all, I guess, Jeff, you know, the, the question would be, and thank you for asking uh, the host of 40 Acres and a Fool uh, for, for tips here, uh, I, I, I'll do my best. First, I'd have to ask, you know, if you're satisfied or unhappy, if you think that, that the plants aren't doing as well as they should be doing, uh, given, you know, all of the steps that you've taken. So, you know, I mean, it could be as, I guess if you want to go organic, you want to stay away from uh, things like miracle Grow. one of the first things that I would do is take a soil sample, 
uh, and your local uh, county extension office, if you if you have a county extension office, or even maybe your state agriculture department, uh, might be able to analyze that soil sample and should be able to analyze that soil sample for a fairly uh, insignificant uh, amount of money, all things considered. And so they will be able to sample that soil. You want to take it from a couple of different spots in the garden. Uh, and they'll be able to tell you if there are any, you know, additives or uh, uh, minerals that you need to add to the soil. And uh, and that can help out as well. We're actually really lucky. I mean, our our soil where we are, uh, there's a lot of rocks to it. It's very mineral laid, very rich in minerals. Um, it's it's almost that red Oklahoma clay, which was one of the reasons why we liked the, uh, the, the farm when we saw that red dirt because it reminded us of home. Uh, so we've been really lucky. We actually haven't had to add anything, but we've also kind of been hit or miss. Uh, it seems every year there's, you know, one or two varieties that that don't grow as well as we think that they should or one or two crops even that don't grow as well as they should. And that's always been kind of the struggle there. So uh, I wish you best, Jeff, and thank you again for tuning into the program. It is a, a real pleasure to meet you, and I look forward to hearing about how your garden grows this year. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast this week, we did do all of our planting of tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers this week. So when we have Miss E with us back on the program next week, we'll kind of break down some of what we're uh, planting and growing. Most of the uh, tomatoes are, are stuff that we uh, have grown in the past. There are a couple of varieties that we saw in, uh, I think it was Johnny's seeds that just looked too good to pass up. So we had a lot of luck. One of our favorite tomatoes last year, for the past two years actually, uh, has been the Sun Gold tomato. It's a really small cherry tomato, very very sweet, um, and it's 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 it just keeps growing. I mean, it's an indeterminate, so uh, it, it's not like it stops, um, but it starts pretty early, continues pretty late, and uh, puts out just a massive amount of fruit. So we've had a, a, just a ton of success with the sun golds and they're just, they're awesome snacking tomatoes. Uh, they're great in salads, but uh, you just, I, I, there's no reason to, uh, to keep cookies or candy or anything sweet in the house. If you have these, they're that sweet. Um, we bought a variety, a, a sister uh, plant, I suppose the, uh, the sun peach uh, this year, which is supposed to be not quite as sweet as the uh, sun gold, uh, but a little bit more uh, mellow of a taste, not quite as uh, a tart. I mean, a sun gold almost tastes like an orange or a tangerine. It's it's that sweet. So looking forward to trying the uh, the sun peach this year. Uh, don't think we got. Oh, I take that back. I think we did actually get some new varieties of peppers this year. I think we got. I, I think we got a ghost pepper. Uh, this year. We haven't grown those before. I know we're doing uh, the standard, you know, habaneros. We're doing Tabascos, uh, obviously jalapenos, Hungarian cheeses, uh, and a couple of other hot peppers. I think we had at least eight different varieties of hot peppers this year and a ton uh, of different uh, cucumbers. Uh, I can't even recall all the different varieties, but uh, some 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 specific pickling blends, and then some uh, kind of funky shaped cucumbers. The cucumbers have been one of those crops that have been really hit or miss for us over the past couple of years. We've we've gotten we've always gotten some, but like last year, for instance, 
we had two trellises, uh, probably 16 different cucumber plants. Half of them got eaten by something before they, right when they started flowering uh, and really before they started vining up the trellis. And so they were done for the year. And then the other half uh, did pretty good, although the blight uh, caught them uh, probably around August or so. And so they, they died off a little bit early. So hopefully we'll have better luck with the cucumbers this year. We still need to plant in the ground our pumpkins and our squash, our beans, our peas, our watermelons. Like I said, we've got a busy week and we'll have a lot to discuss next week here on 40 Acres and a Fool as well, in addition to uh, butchering some hogs and hearing from you. I want to hear, are you ahead of the game right now? Are you behind like we are? How does your garden grow? Give us a uh, a shout. Our email address is always 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in this week and look forward to talking to you very soon. Until we uh, meet again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.